love coach. Let's find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. If you listened last week, you will know that I began a conversation with Nina Hartley and Ernest Green. And this is a show that I did some time ago um, when, let me see, I think the show began the week before Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie, was released. And we were talking about the movie and the book and the we we were mainly focused on the uh relationship and the the things that were depicted incorrectly in the book um and i had nina and ernest on the show because of their extensive experience in the kink community to give us the correct information wanted to get the right information out there and just to clear up some of the misconceptions and so they shared quite a bit of information and so what they did we had so much information to share that i had them come back for a second show so that's so this week we're going to cover some of the right the right information advice about people that are curious about power play relationships how to get started um how to get more information how to find groups locally um just just some information like i said if if you're interested in how to do it safely but how to how to get in and how to how to find some real information and like i said even if you're not interested in doing something you just you just want to learn more and and have a better understanding and we also are going to talk about the difference between erotica and porn because there is a very distinct difference so and I, I knew that these two would definitely be qualified to help me with that so we're going to talk about all of that on tonight's show and if you missed the first show or if you'd like to hear either one or both again or to share them with your friends they are both archived on my website if you go to www.lovecoachjourney.com slash power dash play you can also find the show on most any of the big um, podcast directories just look for ready for love radio and you'll you'll find um, over 100 of my shows are archived on there so let's get started I think my guests have a lot of things to say too so so we're going to tackle all of that today so but let's start uh, tell you what, do y'all, do y'all both want to say just a little bit to introduce yourself to the audience, just in case they didn't hear the last interview? Sure. Sure. After you, my dear. Um, uh, my name is Nina Hartley. I am uh, been in, a nurse. I'm a sex educator. I've been in front of the camera as an adult entertainer for 31 years and still continue to work, and I am uh, as well as an adult entertainer. And I am the, the, self, the self-same Ernest Green. And uh, I'm uh, editor of uh, Hustler's Taboo, which is our uh, kink-oriented magazine. I have been for 15 years. Um, I've made lots and lots and lots of, uh, of adult video, including uh, co-directing Nina's instructional series, Nina Hartley's Guides, of which there are 40, and is the largest selling adult uh, edu- sex education um, video line in- ever. Um, and I've, uh, you know, written and uh, made uh, pictures uh, and presented uh, various kinds of uh, community uh, presentations uh, for many years regarding particularly BDSM, which is sort of my area of specialty. Hey, also, speaking about your, your instructional series, didn't y'all say you're almost, you're up to like 38 or 39 of those now? 40, yeah. I think. I think okay, yeah, I was 30, thinking it was 40. 40. Um, we made them two at a time. 
and uh, I'm very, we are very proud of those. Uh, uh, they've helped a lot of people, and they are both explicit, entertaining, and educational all at the same time. Uh, so you know, we people know don't we speak. And you can be all those things at the same time. Very good. Indeed. Um, I mean, I think the best, the best education um, often occurs uh, in the context, uh, in, in an entertaining context. There are many ways to be educated, but one thing to do that helps is to keep people engaged. And we right. uh, constructed the line in a way that was calculated to keep an audience interested. We didn't want to make dry, lecture-oriented kinds of, you know, tab A and slot B kind uh, of instructional yeah, exactly. stuff. We really did want to make, and we not only wanted to know to show people how to do certain things, but why it would be fun. Yes. And we did it. We did That's concentrate on that element of it, and it's uh, all basically in line with uh, Nina's and my sex-positive philosophy. We think sex is good for people if they do it right and do it with people who want to do it with them, and uh, put a little thought and a little effort and a little learning and experience into it. Mm-hmm. As well as generosity and a general sense of, let's have fun. Right. You know, it's amazing the people that don't think about sex and fun all in the same sentence. It's I like people. know. It's <laughs> work. It's, it's all kinds of things, but it's supposed to be fun. It's adult play. And so since most of us at our age don't roll down hills um, in boxes, we can roll around on the bed with our lovers and enjoy fun that way. And let me hasten to add that we, you know, we don't... Uh, um, suggest uh, in any way that this is that this is a thing that has to be done in exactly a certain fashion. It is a thing that people engineer for themselves once they have the proper knowledge of how things work. That's it. And you know, most people don't know as much about it as they think they do. So <clears throat> it's always so always good to learn new things. And the thing is, and, and I would guess even after all these years, everybody can still learn something new from somebody. Absolutely. It's a bad week if I don't. <laughs> you know, if I don't if I don't find out something new, then obviously I was not paying attention. That's it. People need to open their minds and enjoy. Yeah. <clears throat> so okay, now I think I think Ernest is chomping at the bit to answer this question since I stopped him twice already. <laughs> well, you know what? I was, because I was starting too early, which is a problem with when you're directing video, you want to <laughs> not say action uh, until the camera's there. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, that's a that good would thing. help. So, so what I we're going to talk I've, about? I try, I've been trying for thirty years to get that down, and it doesn't always work. But in any event, uh, yeah, there are, of course, now there is unprecedented curiosity about BDSM, about uh, dominant, submissive, or power-based relationships. Uh, we know the reasons why this is suddenly on the cultural radar as such a large object. Um, but and uh, uh, let me just hasten to say, because this has become a, a source of acrimonious debate within our community about whether or not we're being mean and rejecting to people who saw the, the movie or read the books and are now interested. Everybody got inter- who is interested in this particular kind of sexuality got interested somehow. They saw something or heard something or read something that said, gee, that resonates with me, and it wasn't always quality literature. That's not really the point. The point is, what do you do after you're curious? You know, I don't, I, it, it, I don't judge the people who liked it or didn't like it or whatever. The question is, if they want to include something about this in their own lives, what's the best way to go about it? Well, fortunately, it arrives at a time when there has already been tremendous growth in the community of people who have interests in power-based relationships and in power play and power exchange play. So almost every community of about, of, I, I like to joke about, every, every community the size of Grand Junction, Colorado, mm-hmm. has a club or an organization that sponsors instructional programs um, on, on how to engage in safe safe, I always sort of balk at this word, safe, sane, and consensual BDSM activity, where they bring in experts, guest speakers, people who are familiar with various technical aspects of it, and show how it can be done in a safe and enjoyable way. So with a little looking around where you are, you probably will be able to find actual human beings who will actually be able and willing and eager to teach you what you need to know about 
how this can be done in the best, most enjoyable way. There are also some very good books on the subject, I mean, uh, on every aspect of it, starting with uh, the famous SM-101, which has been around for years, probably could stand a revision, but still has some good ideas. Another excellent book is uh, Screw the Roses, Give Me the Thorns, which is kind of a big encyclopedic view of all kinds of kinky behavior. Um, And then there's the topping book and the bottoming book. By now, a lot of bookstores actually have BDSM sections, a thing I thought I'd never live to see, you know, (laughs) but they're there. There are, like, many, many sources of research. I would suggest being careful with online research because the problem with that is, like, online news. Anyone can claim to be delivering it, but that doesn't mean that what they're delivering is either news or truth. So, though, though you can find a lot of people online who are, claim to be experts about this, you have no way of vetting that. So, honestly, in an old-fashioned kind of way, my suggestions are seek out organizations that have some history, that have been around for a while and are run by experienced people and offer direct educational experience because nothing beats being there in person and being yeah. shown how to do a thing. And I would suggest pursuing the existing library of instructional material. And then I might start to prowl around on the Internet and just see what people are talking about and what they're thinking about. But I really think the whole online thing has been problematic for BDSM because ultimately it's a super personal thing. It's, it's a, the skills themselves are not complicated to learn, but because you are dealing with the human body and the human mind and its vulnerabilities, you really kind of need the physical contact to really understand how these things work. So I'm, I'm not a big advocate of let's go online and research this and then we'll know all about it and then we can go out, you know, join one of these websites and call ourselves Lord Master so-and-so and, we all, and suddenly we know all about it. Well, yeah. there's a lot of that around. So I'd, I'd be careful. There's a great deal of good information and a great deal of not so, I wouldn't call it information. There's a great deal of non-information out there. And I would look for the works of those who have been active in the BDSM community the longest because Though I know a lot of young people don't like hearing this, if we didn't learn things as we got older, it would say something very bad about human beings, and therefore those who are more experienced at a thing may have skills, experience, information to offer that someone who just got here wouldn't have. The the analogy I like to use is this. You have a choice. You're going to get in a plane and fly with somebody. Do you want the pilot who's got 20 hours or the pilot who's got 2,000 hours? I know, I know. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I know the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and people, don't under, people don't understand that. Um, they're coming for us. Yeah. They're, uh, they're coming for us, Nina. They finally caught on to us. I know, right. That's all that lie. The, um, the, this is an, ex- well, hopefully we do get better at sex and sexual activity as we have more of it. But one thing about BDSM, it it can involve a lot of really complex physical, social, and emotional maneuvering and give and take that um, could only come from experience. And I uh, earnest like to say, uh, you know, you're going to make plenty of your own mistakes. You shouldn't have to make our mistakes. Right, exactly. I mean, it's not a a contest to see – who can be perfect at something first? It's a, it is a long journey, and as we've discussed earlier, you keep learning. I mean, I continue to see new things. I see changes in, in, in the community's interests over a period of time. Um, I see that, that they, you know, it's interesting culturally how these things are influenced. Right now, the big cultural influence uh, for a lot of uh, people who are into bondage is from Japan, and there's a lot of Japanese-style bond, rope bondage that one, see, that one sees uh, in various places and for which one can attend various events and workshops and so on and learn how to do it safely and correctly. There are also, in addition to local clubs, there are big regional events um, and you can certainly find out about those online. There are various places where they're listed, um, where, you, where people who are experts in different techniques from all over the world get together and share their knowledge, do workshops, 
you know, show people how, show newcomers how things can be done in, in a safe and pleasurable manner. So the information is out there. It's really not hard to find. You just have to be kind of careful about the sources. I would say look to the, look to the resumes of the people doing the instructing and see if they seem mm, direct and uh, direct and substantial and uh, not to be pushing a particular agenda because there's some of that going on out there. Oh, and don't and also very very important to as a new person's community to listen to your gut feeling about a person or a thing and to recognize that no thank you or not right now is perfectly acceptable, perfectly polite. Better to say no to something or someone that doesn't feel quite right than to go through with it and perhaps have an experience that you might come to regret later. Yeah, never check your judgment at the door. Yeah. Bring that with yep. you. You want to. You want to be. You you want to look as at at any of these situations, any of these works, any of these people, anything they're saying, from the point of view of somebody who has no prior experience and is looking for credibility because credibility is very important. If you understand that the cornerstone of what makes BDSM or DS or power play any of that ethical is real consent. And when I say consent, I don't mean just the absence of no, somebody talked you into it. No, nothing like that. Real consent as in, gee, I want to try this. And if you don't really want to try it, then you should never feel obligated to do anything. And anyone who attempts to say, to persuade you otherwise, like, ah, come on, you'll probably really dig it. Uh, That is a person to be avoided. (laughs) Right. Very true. Well, that's, that's the kind of thing. People in, in all facets of our life, if your gut is telling you no, you need to listen to it, you know? Yeah, oh, and all the no. 90% of the problems I've had in life are when I did not, um, I did not do that for whatever reasons, and that's why we're so big on helping, you know, giving people support to listen to their gut. And, again, it, it, you are responsible for your own safety in the end. You're responsible for your own behavior, and you can't... Uh, you can't give up that power to a, a, a second party uh, without a lot of trust. There you go. And the trust <laughs> has to be earned. You have to earn the trust, as Ernest earned yes. my trust. Um, you know, one, one, one interaction at a time. And, you know, God, I've known 28 years, 27 years now, and, and he has never broken that trust. So there you go. And another piece of advice I'd give to newcomers is, if you discover that this is a genuine interest of yours, it's and one that's been sort of dormant for a very long time, there's a natural. It's like hitting an oil well gusher. You know, there's a natural tendency for stuff to for everything to come flying up into into the middle of the air right away. Um, take your time. You know, don't don't let your desire to do every possible thing and let this part of yourself, you know, out into the world to explore without limits in a way that uh, it has not had the opportunity before. Don't rush into things because that is often how unfortunate circumstances arise, that people didn't take enough time to really watch, learn, and think about whether a certain thing was for them before they dived into it head first. This is a thing that you've got, there's no rush. You have plenty of time. It's been here a long time, and it's not going away. So there's no reason not to start out with, you know, most local groups have a thing called a munch where you just get together and sit and talk and so on and so forth, and nobody actually does anything. They just discuss things. That's a good level at which to start. Start by talking about it, reading about it, learning about it, and <clears throat> then at some point it can go to the hands-on part of things. But first of all, you need some basic grounding in what kinds of relationship options exist within this world. Very good. Very good advice. Are there, and, and you sort of touched on this, but are there any specific red flags if a person gets into a group or starts talking to people, in addition to that gut feeling there's something wrong, is, is there anything specific that y'all might think of that um, would be an, an indication that, that it may be a less than reputable group that they're talking to? Well, it's usually not the group. It's usually just a few individuals. Uh, and if, if, if somebody is too eager to, like, slap a collar around your neck and say, I want you, you know, now you're my slave. Anybody, who's, anybody who pushes you, rushes you, mm-hmm. attempts to in I any way, pers- you, in any way persuade you, 
in any way persuade you to do something just for them. That's the type of person who usually is, you know, dismissive of community activities. Oh, you don't need any of that. I know everything you need to know. I'll teach you everything you need to know. Anybody who comes on in that manner is probably the only thing you need to know about them is how to get from them to your car in the parking lot as quickly as possible. How to, how to yeah. get away from them. So yep. very good. And, and so it's incumbent upon new players um, at a munch or at a party um, to uh, ask around. You know, so just ask about people, just talk to people and, and find out, is anybody here, anybody, I sh- I'm a newbie, anybody here who I should stay away from? Because some people specialize in cutting and uh, cutting newbies from the herd and trying to get uh, influence over them before anybody else. And it happens enough time right. that it's just something to be aware of. So, you know, if you're, if you're new, hi, I'm new. I want to meet everybody and exactly. enjoy the room and ask. And also, if you see couples uh, that seem to have a nice vibe about them, like, wow, they, they, they're nice to each other, they are attentive to each other, they're verbally pleasing to each other, Go say hello to them and ask about, you right. know, how does this work for you? So you seek out people who, who appear to have it together and talk to them. Um, it, yeah, it, uh, one thing I would definitely say is that there's a wealth of wisdom and experience in the community, and it's not always packaged in the, the most conventionally attractive form. Um, as we have a lot of new young people coming in here, um, <clears throat> lots and lots and lots of them, and that was going on, I might add, for the last two decades before any major mainstream media picked up on it. We, our community has been growing hugely, and it includes younger, a lot of younger people, people who just arrived, and uh, there's kind of that natural hormonal thing that goes on between young people, so don't be confused just because somebody seems hot, it, you know, if, if they really actually don't know anything, you're not going to have a good experience with them, no matter how appealing they may be. Whereas some of the older folks, you know, you might not want to be partners with them, but they may know things from their own experience that you need to know, too. I'm, I'm sorry to see emerging a kind of a, a, a certain sort of uh, age discrimination going both ways in this community, which could only happen once it got to a certain size. <clears throat> where there's a sort of a younger crowd that wants to keep to its own, and there's an older crowd that says, no, we don't want to know any of them. It, right. really should, it was never that way in the old days because there weren't enough of us. When right. somebody new came in, they met everybody because it was 60 people in the room. Yeah. Now it's, it's hundreds of people in the room. So, <clears throat> you, you know, you want to, uh, you, you want to check in with people who, say, who others say are, have, are good members of the community, reliable, yeah. trustworthy, and who have been around a while and have skills and experience that they can share with you. Uh, I do believe still, and this is my, my big beef with the whole huge phenomenon of online kink, is that until you actually are in the room with a person, you really don't know much about them or how compatible you might be or how useful they might be in educating you in terms of finding your own identity. So I I think direct engagement with people who are active in the the, the BDSM world is, is still the best way in. And doing and doing that homework, you know, read those books. They're fun to read, and believe me, they are full of good advice. Interesting. That's that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought about. But it, you do seem to have that, especially with <clears throat> certain age groups. Like, oh, we we just all want to stick together. But the thing is, you can learn from other people. You know, and, and people also, who, there's some ageism. Um, sometimes older players dismiss younger players as just being, you know, looky-loos or thrill-seekers. Who We all were at one time. And, but, <laughs> and, but, oh, come and, on. And, and some young people may come through kink world and realize, yeah, this is not for me, but some are going to be here to stay because it is their natural, true orientation. And then a lot of younger people don't want to be around older people because they think, A, they assume older people are, A, creepy or, B, you know, macking on them and wanting to be with them simply because they're young. And honestly, very few of us want to be be someone strictly because they're young because it's a complicated way to have sex. And if I'm a very experienced player, I'm probably going to want to be with someone who has some skill level already. 
and right. for young for young's sake um, isn't why we're talking to you young people. It's because we want to make sure that you don't get permanent nerve damage from that lousy bondage you're doing that you saw in a freaking magazine somewhere. So right. you know, we are not here to harsh your high. We're not here to rain on your parade. We're not here to you know press our horrible wrinkled bodies next to yours. But we right. are here to say, hey, you know, you might want to rethink that knot. Right. Yeah, it, it, there, there is uh, that is that is one of many very active uh, hot button discussions within the community. One thing you'll find out, and I'll, I'm going to say this phrase again about kinky people in general, whatever their orientation might be, whether they are oriented toward being dominant or submissive or neither of the above. They're switch. They're switches who would like to do both. Whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it's a, it's a rather, as large as it is, eccentric community. And I always say, if you've met one of us, you've met one of us. I knew that was what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's my, it's, I've become like a broken record about that, but there's been so, there have been so many generalizations flying around about this kind of person and that kind of person. You know, anyone who's a kind of person is generally somebody you might have suspicions about and reasons to avoid. It's all about the individual chemistry with an individual person. So, therefore, you know, I, I strongly suggest that uh, it, for newcomers to get out there and meet a variety of people who are into a variety of things, including things that might not seem to interest you at first. Yes. You know, see what it is that they do and how it works, and then you can make an educated decision about whether or not that's for you. That doesn't mean having them do it to you first. You watch them do it to somebody else first and say, hmm, I didn't think I'd like that, and you know, I really don't, or hmm, that isn't like I thought it would be. could be fun. So obviously, at the beginning, I urge people to watch, listen, read, learn. There are a lot of people, you know, when I honestly, I I know I'm going to get beat up for this, but that's all right. It's my own form of masochism. <laughs> but uh, I prefer my, be- my beatings verbally, thank you. I'll take them in there that you form. Go. Um, but uh, when I say that somebody who, for instance, has a profile on a kink-oriented social network site that says they're 24 years old, they identify as a master, and they're single. Now, there are you know, three things there that are that, that ought to be, I wouldn't call them red flags, but certainly yellow lights. This person, not by virtue of being young, but clearly they can't have as much experience at that age as somebody who has been around for 20 years longer. Second of all, how can you declare yourself a master if you haven't been in a relationship and don't know what your power exchange dynamic with another person might right, be? Right. You could say That's you have a point. dominant orientation because you know, know that about yourself, but I'd be careful about uh, attaching a title before you really have a lot of experience. And if they start, you know, they have a long list of stuff that, that they expect their partner to, in one way or another, adhere to, and they don't have a partner, there's probably some connection between that list and why they don't have a partner. So you, you want to look for somebody, you want to look for people whose fantasy lives are not the, the center of their experience here, but rather their actual, their actual uh, pre- participation in activities within the community and on their own, um, because those are the people who can, who can actually show you what you want, need to see. Interesting. Okay. So as far as choosing if a person, well, I guess choosing is probably not the right word, and I know y'all are both going to let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> so as, as far as when a person determines, maybe we'll say determines, if they're going to be a dominant person or a more submissive person, mm-hmm. does that have any relationship to their regular everyday life, or is, does it just kind of depend on the person? For some, yes. For, for most, no. I would say that the majority, the overwhelming majority of people who in one way or another enjoy power, power-based uh, sex play, um, just do so when, you know, in, when they're in a sexual space, when they're in private, or when they're at uh, a, a party full of other people doing it, and otherwise have day-to-day lives that are no different than they would have been otherwise. Now, there are those who have... Who, who, consider themselves lifestylers. I'm always suspicious of that phrase. It sounds like something out of a TV commercial. I'm worried about that. <laughs> but um, there are those lifetime, who, right? who really do try to incorporate what we call protocol, some set of rules about how they relate to one another in 
their lives in general. I don't think that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. It depends on the individuals. One thing I will say about it, though, is to do that well and with care is a very challenging thing all the time. It's hard to, it's hard to keep that dynamic up and running and functional and happy and safe for everybody all the time. It does require a lot of attention, and it does require a certain amount of effort. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, the, there are those for whom it is, as they say, 24-7. But for us, it's more like 7 to midnight. Yeah. And yeah. I think in that, in that way, I think we're probably a little more typical. Now, we, have, we do have friends who have 24-7, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year dominant and submissive relationships where one is always in role and one is always, you know, wearing some token of it. And in one way or another, they relate to each other through that particular dynamic in every way. That is, to me... (laughs) So much work. Well, to me, that's, you know, again, I mean, if you want to become uh, an advanced practitioner of almost anything, like uh, Zen or uh, a religious discipline or anything else like that, there will be those who really want that to be the center of their lives, and they will pursue it until, until they have put it there. But I don't think the majority of people who simply want to explore this recreationally should feel that they are somehow less, because that's, all the, because that's the extent of their involvement. You know, right. there's, some, there's some snobbery in this, in this community, too, and I don't like that much either, but it comes, sort of comes with the territory. There are those who say, well, you know, I'm this, I'm this way every minute of every day. I wake up this way, and I go to bed this way, and everything we do in between is this way. Well, that's a minority, and they're very, they tend to be very visible because that, precisely because that is a minority. I think for most people, what I always say is that for most people, this is foreplay to sex. Yes, yes. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just fine. If, you know, you'll, you'll hear dis- occasionally a disparaging remark toward, you know, well, they're just bedroom players. Gee, that's where I started. You know, that's where most people start. something wrong with that? Yeah, right. right. Like, you know. Well, well, also, don't forget, don't forget, Ernest, a lot of people, you know, they do, they do, some people separate conventional intercourse from their BDSM play. We don't do that, and the people that we play with don't do that, but there's a large subsection of players for whom it is more energetic or ritualistic as opposed to directly sexual. Um, I don't know what percentage well, of the they're, community they're are there, for, but they're... They're, they're, they're sensation players. They're looking for you know, a, a more you know, neurolog- neurochemical experience of the thing. They're not really interested in it in the relationship context, and those are the ones who are likely not to include a lot of what we would consider conventional sexual behavior in their play. But again, I think that, and again, you make your own. There's no such thing as a correct SM so long as it's safe and sane and everyone consents to it, fine. But um, there are, there, that is another sort of subgroup, if you will, of a much larger group that I really do think are recreational weekend players for whom it is most definitely associated with sexual enjoyment. Interesting, interesting. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I just I just let y'all talk because I never know exactly where you're going to end up. So, but this, it's we. always interesting. But going back now, um, so between porn and erotica, that we only have 20 minutes left in the show, and uh, and the great uh, late great Gloria Leonard once said the difference between pornography and erotica is the lighting. <laughs> and I've, I've heard that. You yes. know, um, and the you know the. Some people say, no, no, erotica addresses feelings and connection as much as it addresses hydraulics. Um, but, you know, one person's pornography is another person's erotica. Yes, I was going to say, erotica is the stuff you like, pornography is the stuff somebody else likes. Right. So it is, exactly. it, it is we're, 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 it's semantic, it's semantic hair splitting in, in, in my view. I don't think there is a clear distinction. I mean, and, and it's gotten fuzzier as, as there has been a general opening to sexual discussion in society. Uh, what used to be, there used to be, uh, a, a, for a long time, of course, the genre of romantic fiction, which was aimed primarily at women, where the sex was usually implied and then it faded out and was never described in an explicit way. But there's been explicit romance literature now for 20 years. Yeah, where no, they, they did back. Where they don't close the door. Right. Um, maybe so. euphemistic, but oh, maybe, maybe you, know, you know, pornography uses the vernacular and erotica uses the euphemistic. 
could be. And I think also the erotica tends to to be more structured around relationships and more structured around stories and so on and so forth, whereas pornography is principally structured around images or words or whatever, performances, whatever, that are meant to appeal directly to to, to, uh, sexual arousal and not to necessarily engage other parts of one's brain. You know, it's like, uh, I think erotica is a little more front brain and uh, pornography is a little more back brain. <laughs> well, what, what erotica is the scenic route and pornography is the direct route to, yeah. the, to, the, to the same place. Both, both are intended to create sexual feeling and arousal in the viewer or reader um, and, uh, you know, and, and entice them to pleasure themselves or their partners, uh, to open them up to a new way of thinking about sex, maybe to expose them to a way of having sex they had never contemplated before. Um, when I, you know, when I first started reading, um, let's face it, it was Victorian pornography, The Pearl. And, of course, in Victorian English pornography, there's a lot of corporal punishment scenes with, you know, spankings and canings and, and floggings. And English stuff. English stuff. And that never, I never understood the appeal of that kind of sexuality because I'm a more polymorphously perverse person. So for me, if there's naked people involved, I'm down for that, and we can go anywhere <laughs> on the map. As I got older and then eventually as I – and I – first had to start having sex with people, the occasional smack on my bottom during doggy style was like, that feels good, but it was, again, not structured. It wasn't formalized. Then when I met Ernest, um, besides finding him fascinatingly attractive and sexy and compelling and smart and all the other things, he had a way of being sexual that was completely new to me. And so I've come to really like kinky sex. It wasn't like I wasn't kinky before, but I had no exposure to it. And, and, you, did, and you did have, you know, some exposure to uh, erotica, to be, for, to, I'll call it power exchange oriented erotica. That has been a theme in erotica for a long time. Oh, certainly. It's certainly, but, yeah. but again, I think it's very important that these two terms not be used interchangeably, but also not be treated, either one, be treated pejoratively. They're just two different roads to the same destination. Yes. Um, sure. and th- some people are, are, you know, very, oh, porn, it's, I, you know, I like erotica, but porn is ugly. Right. Well, that's their point of view. They're certainly, they, everybody's erotica a critic. Erotica is egalitarian and porn is misogynistic, um, or it, it, right. et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm leery of attaching labels to either. I've seen plenty of good porn and plenty of bad yeah. porn, and I've read and seen plenty of good erotica and plenty of not-so-good erotica. It's, it's, it's a, largely a question of, what of how well it's done, right? Oh, and, well, and also, I think how many, how much more. Again, you know, porn is just about often just about the hydraulics, and the relationships are secondary to it. And erotica starts with the relationships out of which the sex happens, and pornography starts with the sex out of which relationships may develop or be revealed. There you go. I think that's a good operational definition. Well, you know, and, and there aren't a lot of people, or I just haven't found them. There aren't a lot of people that write really arousing sex scenes. You know, so it's it's nice when you find one, whether whether it's in a movie, whether it's more graphic, whether it's whatever. Well, it, have you it had can a be very to read like, Master of there's, there's good and bad oh, good. of it. Yes, it's plug time. Uh, yeah, oh yes. Well, <laughs> if, if you read Master of O, there are some amazingly well written sex scenes in there. Not very, to not to mention complex <laughs> complex relationships and yes. all the things you associate with erotica, but the sex in it is very explicit and detailed. And I think actually that combination is probably going to get more popular as, as people become more open to different things. Um, I don't think these two things are, these two genres are mutually exclusive either. Right. right. Very true. Well, and some people, no matter what they read, they're going to jump to the conclusion that one way or the other. You know, so, I mean, there's got to be something out there for everybody. Supposedly, there is. Oh, there is. You know, so. <laughs> more being written every day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, so the, find the, the one that's right for you and fits what you want, depending on what your goal is in reading or watching it, and enjoy. And don't don't judge everybody else because they don't like the same thing. And and right. please, you know, there's, there's so much out there. If you don't like this book, put it down. Pick up another one. There's there there, is, there are books written about sex and sexuality and sexual expression from every conceivable vantage point, from race, True. age gender, orientation, behavioral preferences, relational preferences. I mean, there's so erotic and, writing is, is huge. It's a huge sub-market. And, 
and it's actually become part of the visual market as well. I mean, there are the, the, you know after years and years of, of very you know showing very hard, explicit sex in in, in pornography. Um, the trend now is toward relationship-based por- yeah. pornography, where yes, everything is shown explicitly, but it's put in the context of what goes on between the people beforehand and afterwards. Yes, that um, is. Just, a, that, there is a growing genre of romance pornography. Which absolutely, I, I'm delighted to see. I think it's wonderful. Um, I just was in a movie that's out now called Marriage 2.0. That is a great example of that new. Uh, the revival, actually, of the, of the early uh, of the '70s porn, with with movies and with stories, and where the sex in the story uh, did develop the characters and promoted the plot. And so, in Marriage 2.0, they have consciously brought that back, and the sex never just happens; it's always in the service of the story or the characters. And it makes for one long time. Reviewer said, for the first time, I did not want to forward fast forward between the sex scenes because the characters really <laughs> engaged me and that is you know ideal you want you want it to hit on, on as many cylinders as possible um and sometimes you have the sometimes you just need a 20 minute scene of what it is you like to see because you just need to relax and go to sleep and sometimes you can invest in a fuller experience with your partner get the candles you know and really just make a go of it and uh, so this there's there is material available for every mood state that a consumer might uh, uh, be experiencing. But I, when I when I wrote Master of O, I really specifically wanted, though I wanted the the sex to be explicit, so that people would know exactly what it, what readers would know exactly what it was that was that the characters were doing and how they found it enjoyable. But um, it was principally propelled by relationships. Yes. Um, that it, it, it is basically a book about a complicated relationship among two men and a woman, and all the various things that they do may be described in a manner that some will certainly consider pornographic if I did a good job. Yes. But um, yes. others will undoubtedly find the story um, a, a reason to keep on reading because it's, it, it, it's quite, a, in that sense, it's quite, a story-oriented vehicle. I really enjoy. You could doing have, you that. could you could take it down to an R-rated story, and it would still work just as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and indeed, I should also. This is a good time to put in one more plug. We have an illustrated version of Master of O that will become available in two weeks. In about two weeks, um, and you'll be able to get it from masterofo.com. <laughs> And I believe I remember that there are a limited number of copies of that also. Yeah, there, that'll be that, that's going to be a limited edition of a thousand signed and numbered copies, uh, with wonderful artwork by a, a terrific artist named Fernando, um, who uh, really brings these scenes to life in a charming, delightful way. And uh, that's the next thing. That's the next thing uh, from the factory here. But in the meanwhile, if uh, you know if you are not a, a visual person in that way, or would rather just read it, of course you can also buy either the ebook or the paperback novel with no illustrations, also from masterofo.com and other. Well, places. you know, and and just because I, I haven't finished the entire book, but the mm-hmm. parts I have read, it, it's you can you can easily visualize what's happening. You yeah, know, sometimes well, we did that on purpose. And, he wanted to bring you into this world. Exactly. And these are all. Exactly. Pu- and the other thing is, I think it's important. Uh, another important thing is context. These people have other lives. The, you know, it doesn't just suddenly pick up in the middle of sex and then we don't see them again. Right. Right. No, we 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 learn about who they are and how they got that way. I think that may be another thing about erotica that distinguishes it from porn is that it it creates a more detailed picture of the surroundings in the situation. And I think it also involves fully formed person personalities and not just um, uh, anatomy. Two-dimensional right. representations of hot young guy with hot young girl, and they could be anybody. I think erotica tries to make three-dimensional people who are interacting with each other um, uh, in a sexual manner. Um, and, you know, for some people, just the body, thank you very much, ma'am. And for other people, they really need to connect with the characters as, as people for them to become invested in the story. That's true. Well, and, and the depth of what you can write and what you can share and, and what you can convey is so much greater when you when you give more information and you develop your character. Like how many times even just a regular book do you read or you see reviews and people are like, I didn't care about the character. I couldn't care less. You know, they weren't developed. I didn't know right. anything about them. 
so it's, it always adds another element to it once you get to know the character and and like you said with with Master Vo, you know, understanding the world they came from, you know, and the mentalities they have and, and this sort of thing. It's just interesting, interesting. And I think it makes the sex hotter because now yes. you're 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 imagining sex between people you feel like you feel you know. Yes. So then you can really be a voyeur because you know more Absolutely. about the person and you're watching what they're doing. So. And, by, and the things that, what you know about them, uh, the things you've learned about them is people are manifested in the way they have sex. So it's like, oh, right. okay, so right. this is connected to this. That's oh, interesting. Oh, I see. Right, exactly. So. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and you can also see how there are times when their sex life may not, um, may be more contradictory to how they live their own life, you know, on around people outside of the people have often asked me you know Nia you're such a strong person you know how can you how can you not to mention an outspoken feminist right how can you (laughs) how can you enjoy being a you know an eager bootlicker it's like well he makes it really 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 rewarding I I, I love him obviously (laughs) so there's that but mainly you know I he he keeps the sex really hot it's never one thing about BDSM um sex when done correctly, it can never devolve into um, by the numbers or just, you know, one, two, hand on hip, three, four, move to kiss, five, six, bend her over, you know, seven, eight, stick it in. It's non-formulaic. There's a lot of room to experiment. And and you have to be fully present each time. You cannot just check out and go through the motions if you're going to have kinky sex because someone can get hurt. Yeah, that can be unwise. And so if you think about, you know, conventional relationships in the beginning when you're new to each other, you're you're very present to the sex, you're excited to be there, it's all new, you're experimenting, you're discovering new things about each other. This is so great. And then, as often happens, if people stop prioritizing their intimate time together, it can then devolve into duty or habit or or, or just, oh, it's Wednesday night, I've got to do this with my partner. And after 15 years, I still like making love to the same man, which is an astounding in and of itself, given my particular predilections. But what keeps that going is that the sex is new every time, because the feelings are still the feelings still lead. It's not it, the feelings still lead the action. So that makes sex as exciting as it is now as it was in the beginning. One thing, I, said, I said this the last time we talked, but I'd like to say it again while I can. Um, I think there is something of use from the experience of BDSM people that would be that's transferable to any kind of relationship. Yes. Which is discussion and negotiation first. Find out something. Ask questions. Give honest answers. Find out what people are about in terms of their sexual identities uh, before you make those discoveries in the field. You know, you want to get to know people first. I always, I always suggest that the process by which we negotiate a BDSM scene, you can take the BDSM scene right out of that and apply that kind of negotiating skill to any kind of sex. You really want, that, each of you wants to know what the other likes. Right, and, and then in our culture, you know, when, when we have a, a, an idea of what is considered, quote-unquote, normal sex between men and women, so if I consider myself to be a normal person and my partner is a, quote-unquote, normal person, there's a lot we don't discuss because we think we know. We right, ass- make, we no, we assume, ass- make no assumptions. Yeah. Everyone's different. Yeah, we, we assume that this is what sex means or this is what it means to the other person or I shouldn't have to say what it is, I'm... I want because they should know, because if they love me, they'd know. Um, and also because a lot of, honestly, a lot of romance books, you know, have a very unrealistic um, idea of sex because it was, you know, the first sex was always magical and fantastic and transporting because it was new. You're awash in hormones and, and, and other brain chemicals. And, to keep and don't, it, don't be afraid to talk about, that's a good point, don't be afraid to talk about the experience afterward. Yes. Not only should people definitely. discuss their sexual, potential sexual experiences before they have them, after they have them, they should not be afraid to, in a, you know, a, a, a humane and caring way, say, you know, this part was really great, and I wasn't, you know, this didn't do much for me, and I'd like a little more of this and a little more of that, or a little less of this and a little less of that. And in that way, you can get your own dynamic, whatever kind it is, in your relationship working for, working for all partners involved. Yeah, the first year... Uh 
the first year of our sexual relationship, um, Ernest and I, you know, we don't forget when it comes to BDSM at the time, he was the more, obviously more experienced partner than I was because I had no other dominant partners and he had had plenty of other submissive partners. Thank them very much because he learned a lot of fun things. But for the first year we were lovers, we would probably spent a good half an hour after we made love talking about specifics. I liked the way that particular influence felt. I liked it when this happened. I don't know about that. Some things I didn't like then, I love now. Some things I liked then, I love even more now. And something we tried once or twice in real life, eh, not so much for us. Um, And we we no longer need to do a post-mortem, but for the first year, absolutely, absolutely, there was a detailed post-mortem for lack of a better word, uh, I'm sorry, post-love-making, uh, re, uh, re, uh, reconnoiter, to, to fine-tune Ernest and my particular way of being together. Um, and that deep in, deep in trust um, certainly allowed us to now, when we, when we do have sex, we don't have to talk about it specifically, and it is just magical. It's, it's like a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers dance routine, um, and it feels very spontaneous and very magical, um, after all these years, which is pretty darn amazing. To yeah, me. I, know, I know this has been said before many times, but it really is true that an awful lot of sex happens above the neck. Yeah. Um, a, an awful lot of it happens in your head, and that's why it's yes. important if it's, if it's going to be a mutually enjoyable experience for people to be able to share their thoughts about it. I, I cannot overemphasize what I see as the key importance of good communication between sex partners. Yes. They really have to not, you know, everybody has to understand at the beginning that just talking about something doesn't destroy the magic of it, isn't right. critical of the other person, is just a way of getting closer. The better you communicate, right. the closer you'll be, the more intimate your relations will be, and the better the sex will be. And, you know, they, they talk about this in, in, main, in you know, vanilla uh, handbooks is, you know, don't lie about what it is you're experiencing because then you'll just get more. Yeah, back. unless you want a whole lot of it. Right, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. and so, you know, um, something as simple as hair pulling. There is a, an effective way to pull hair that in a receptive partner makes them go, ooh, oh my goodness. And there's an ineffective way to pull hair on Which a partner makes go, that, makes, Ouch. that makes them go, hey, what are you doing? So there's a skill set, and there's the bodies in question. So there's what my nerve ending's like versus what her nerve ending's like. So Ernest has to be able to tune in to each partner. We're an open couple, so he has to be, has to be a good BDSM dominant lover. You have to be extremely tuned into your partner and extremely able to read body language and subtle cues to fine-tune what you're doing so that they, they can remain in that happy space where they don't have to think at all. It just happens so magically. And don't be, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that yes. people need to do. It's like, and dominance um, can ask questions. Yeah, dominance never gets out of, out of role, but he will, in, he will ask for information from me that he needs to do better at what he's doing. Because as I've also said, you know, my power, such as it is, arises out of her pleasure. If I, if I make it fun for her, then she'll be more receptive to what I want to do. And so, she'll come back for more again yeah, and again. So the, <laughs> so the more I know, the better, the better I'll be able to be at, what, at my part of it, and the more my partner knows about me, the better she'll be able to be at being a partner also. So that communication thing, that ap- applies across the board to every kind of, uh, yeah. of intimate relationship kink, not I can kink, think monogamy, of. Non-monogamy, you know, Definitely it, does. It's just really Open, important. honest communication with your partner. Definitely. But it's really hard because our culture makes it very difficult. People's egos are, are, are bound up in their sexuality. So what I, if I'm trying to explain to my partner that I'd like something a little different, if they're not clear, they can get all hurt over it or insulted or, you know, or, or withdraw affection and sex from me because they don't like feeling challenged, in which case it makes them unsuitable for my, unsuitable for my needs. But even the, the most important thing that conventional people can learn from kinky people is to not take, to not take honest feedback in a negative way. Or give it in a negative way. Yes, yes, sir. I mean, Definitely. It's, to, hey, it's it, how you say it a lot of times. Yeah, how, exactly. I mean, there how, how, you say, how you speak it makes a lot of difference, I learned that the hard way. Yeah, it's, it's yes. this again. There is no, there's no one template that works for everybody. But one thing that I think works broadly is to approach everything with the idea that nobody is, nobody's feelings are to be hurt, 
Everybody is to speak openly what they see as the truth of their experience and to do so in a manner that's kind. Yes. There's no reason not to. So that's my, you know, that's my pitch for communication. I'm all about that. Well, and I liked, I liked what you mentioned too, Nina, about, you know, sometimes what you didn't like at one time, you may like it at another time. Oh, you know, yeah. Or, or over time, every time what we like changes. And yeah. who you're with, what you like changes. So you've got to be open over to time. That's things. one of the reasons why, as I said, when we get a bunch of newcomers in our community who say, oh, those old guard types, what do we need to know from them? Well, you may not need to know something specific from them, but you may find out that because they've had a lot of different experiences, when you discuss your experiences with them, they might be able to say, yeah, you know, I found that to be true also, or when that arose in our, our, our relationship, this is how we dealt with it. Yeah. Much, much of this is not about simply learning how to tie knots or throw a whip. Much of this is about learning how to assess a situation, a sexual situation with your partner and decide what you want to do. Or make last-minute adjustments. Um, right. And, again, so, you know... You, and the, just, the communication needs to continue during the sex, by the way. Oh, yes. One thing that, that does kind of sometimes... I mean, this, this too, is a bit controversial. Some people say, well, what negotiated, whatever you negotiated, that's all you do. But one thing tends to lead to another. Ongoing. And if you're, if you're still exactly. in communication while it's happening, you can say, hey, you know, I just had an idea. You want to try this? So long as it's clearly understood that, in, that no means no then there's no reason not to ask. And, you know, and, and also keeping, you know, I can ask whatever I want. Um, I just have, you know, all I need to do is say, please, sir, and whatever follows will probably get a yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not, he, because he, why? He wants my enthusiastic participation. So if I've come up with an idea, a smart dominant always takes um, input from the submissive player uh, because, A, it helps the dominant come up with ideas, and it helps the dominant provide a great experience for the submissive, which makes the submissive want to come back again, um, and the dominant may learn a new skill. Right. So it's a, I, I always say I'm a product of all, of all the submissive partners I've, I've had over the years. It's like, if you go, so where did you learn all that stuff? Oh, from submissive partners. Oh, but <laughs> dominants don't learn from submissive partners, Ernest. Yeah, well, there are some <laughs> who insist that they don't. And uh, remember that earlier I had a list of, of people you want to kind of uh, steer clear well, of? Well, you know, some, some people That's probably don't, but it's their fault. <laughs> so. Yeah, the person who says I don't, I already know everything I need to know, and if you don't, if that's not right for you, then you're not right for me. Well, no, that's not how any ongoing relationship, any ongoing relationship, is a work in progress. There's a couple we know who have had a full time, twenty four seven BDSM marriage. Like fourteen years now. No, no, I'm thinking of 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 of. Oh, Bob. Yes. Yeah, of people who have been married five years. What? How many? Thirty five. Thirty five years. Wow. And when we were the last time we saw them, when we were discussing that, and I was saying, "Geez, you know, guys really seem to have it all worked out," and she sort of laughed and she said, "It's still a work in progress." <laughs> After thirty-five years, uh, well, well yeah. I think any but any relationship it should be a living thing, and should always be, you know, it's going to sound so trite, something out of you know, um, you know, moral majority monthly, but it is an ongoing relationship that should grow and deepen over time as you. As you and get to know each other and, and yourselves, to, and to show love and affection and kindness well, to each other, um, and that is, you know, when you find the right partner, that kind of work is fun to do. I mean, I like being married to Ernest, and I like the journey that we're on, and I like the intimacy that we have, and that we continue to develop because he's the right guy for me. Um, and we should all be so lucky is to find uh, the right person for us, um, and, and then and do everything you can to keep that living and breathing. <laughs> Well, you know, yes, as humans, it does, it does as human beings, we're always growing and changing, so it only makes sense that our relationships should be growing and changing and, and you know, as we interact with other people. So it makes good sense hope. to me. Right. I mean, it's a, the, the, anyone who, who says at some point or other that, okay, this is what we do and this is what we'll always do, well, eventually they won't be doing that either because they'll get bored. <laughs> um, no, it's, it, 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 as you grow as human beings, your sex lives shouldn't be stuck. All through life, you learn. This is this is the again the the, the the in the current you know divisive arguments about ageism going both ways in our community. There are those who say, "Well, I know everything I need to know," and then there are those who say, "Well, I've been at this forever, and I still am learning something new every day." And I think that that uh, there is there's no way to know too much. Right. No. Yes. 
There's no such Very thing true. as too Learning. much knowledge. Yeah, well, and we, we have almost shared too much knowledge because we are out of time, you guys. Well, oh, my goodness. We we'll did have our best. We'll again sometime. <laughs> time, time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah, I love that. I, you're, such, you're such fun to talk to. We love doing this. <clears throat> well, I tell you what, I think, I think we share lots of great things, and I, and I love the comparison in, in that, that, you know, every, every couple and every relationship needs a lot of the same things, and I'm so glad you all brought those things out in the conversations. Well, thanks. So it's been great having you guys with me again. Thank you both very much. Thank you. And Our listeners. Pleasure. And run, do not walk to masterofo.com and get your copy of Master of O. It's a fabulous book. And and read some of the passages and share them with one another. You never know what it might spark in your relationship. There you there go. You go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being, as always, a wonderful host. And anytime you want to call on us, we're here. Well, thank you very much. And listeners, I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio.